Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Chef's Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from the International Culinary Center, and I'm your host. And today, our chef, this is going to be one of the most interesting uh, chef stories we've had. Uh, today's chef is, uh, you know, what, probably one of the chefs with the greatest challenge in, in America today. Jorge Calazzo is um, uh, the uh, director of um, food for the New York City, uh, the head chef for the New York City public school system. And what that means is the enrollment in the New York City schools is over a million. And they serve something like 156 million breakfasts a, a year in 1,600 schools and have a budget of $365 million. And uh, the challenges are just uh, incredible. And Jorge himself has been to the White House, has worked with Michelle Obama, uh, and is considered one of the leaders in, in the movement to really try to make school food not only healthy, nutritious, but delicious and, and food that students want to eat. So Jorge, I'm just terribly excited to have you here today. Thank you. And I can't wait to jump into this. But but, and Let's and hear it. about hear about what you're doing and uh, where the state of school food is today. But first, let me get into. I mean, how did you how did you get into all of this? I um, I understand you were born uh, in Havana, which I was in last year. I, I, oh, lo- I loved it. What I'm a beautiful jealous. city! <laughs> a beautiful city. I'm jealous. Um, and. Um, so anyway, tell me where where you grew up. How did you become a chef? Uh, what what turned you on to food? Well, I um, yeah, I was born in Havana in 1950, and uh, my family emigrated here in 1959. Sadly, I haven't been back, but I'm planning on a trip next year. Uh, how did I become a chef? Interesting story. Uh, like any other chefs, it's uh, could be kind of uh, meandering. Um, well, what were your first food memories? First, did you grow up in a Cuban? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, t- tell me about Cuban food. Well, I mean, I um, my earliest memories of uh, food uh, do ex- reside in my uh, my life in Cuba as a child. Um, my mother's family. I lived for some time with my mother's family. We lived there, and um, uh, you know, we had. We had help. There was, uh, there was a cook for the family, and uh, you know, I remember wandering into that kitchen in the back of the house, and it's just you know these amazing women making like incredible food, and it was very early, you know, memory of that. And throughout my life, my mother, my aunts, you know, everybody in my family. Were fantastic cooks. So, did you cook with them? Was it, or did uh, you not, just eat? <laughs> uh, 
because I ate a lot, and uh, but you know, there's some sensory imprints that occur. You know, irregardless whether you're physically active in the cooking or not. It's oh, just, sure, yeah. You know, so I mean, it's I guess it just started to seep into me, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but you didn't go the chef route right away. You, no, you you went the journalism. Yeah, route, I was studying. Um, I was studying journalism at Temple University in the mid seventies, and uh, I was working in a family owned restaurant in Philadelphia, Fisher's Seafood House, which was up on North Broad Street. And was that uh, for because you needed a money. job? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't because you no. know, the, the love of. Well, no, not really, not at yeah. all. I just needed yeah. to make some money. Right. You know, students, you yeah, know, you do different absolutely. things. So mm-hmm. um, so that's where I first really, that was my first experience in a professional kitchen. Mm. And it wasn't glamorous. It was, you know, learning how to peel potatoes and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess my first real challenge in the food uh, in, in that environment was when the one of the owners, well, the owner's son, you know, slapped down a, a whole salmon in front of me. And because I was cutting fish, they had showed me some rudimentary skills about butchering fish. And he, uh, he said, this is worth $100, you know, don't screw it up, you know, mm. and that was... In the 70s, yeah, I mean, $100 well, was $100. I guess he was... <laughs> think it was a large one and uh um i don't know what the amount was but it was it was a lot of money to me it was impressive so um well lo and behold i didn't uh, screw it up so but i don't know the journalism career was um i don't know it was fine uh the schooling but i kept having this love affair like growing kind of nurtured love affair with food business and somebody said to me you should if you really like this you should go to cooking school there's a school in upstate new york it's called the cia i go what are you talking about and uh so i left temple i moved back to new jersey and at that time you had to have a year's work experience before they allowed you in to the cia yeah Yeah. it's not that way anymore i don't think you know and uh, so I put myself, you know, to working in a restaurant, mm-hmm. and I did. And I called them every day to make to see if there was a, a slot open, because uh, no, but you know, finally somebody um, decided not to attend. I said, yeah, Jorge, you have a... So I just immediately enrolled. So, so. before the year was up, yeah, you were I mean, so I anxious. was really uh, calling them like. A couple of times a week, at least, you know. Go. So you got the bug. I got oh, the bug. And so, uh, did you love school? Yes, I love school. Okay. I love being there. I loved everything about it. I love being with the chefs. I, at that time, you could live inside of the main monastery building. This was 1979. Uh, I graduated in '82. Is that when Henry Barber was there? I think so. Yeah. yeah there was, was a lot a great of. Guy. There was a lot of. Um, There's a lot of well-known chefs now that came out of those years 82 83 mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so um and um I, I at that time you could live in the main it was an old monastery right converted mm-hmm. and you know at that time you could live in the main building and i did and i just spent all my time in the evening 
hanging out with Chef Banya and Chef Pepini and uh, just... You were drinking the Kool-Aid. I totally <laughs> drank that Kool-Aid. I was right. excited. So where did, the, where did you go after school? Well, I, uh, I worked for a short time at... Um, first, I went... I, I worked for a short time at Vienna 79, which was... Oh, a, that was a four-star, right? Yeah. Four New York s- Times, four-star? Yeah, star? four-star um, um, Austrian, like, upscale kind of Austrian restaurant. David Boulay was there, too. Were you there the same time, No, David there was two gentlemen there. Um, two young guys were there when I was there. So uh. stayed there for a little while. Um, and then I... Um, I said, I want to try a hotel. So I went to the Helmsley because they were doing some really exciting food. You know, Chef, mm-hmm. Chef Rene was there. And uh, so I stayed, I stayed at the Helmsley working for Leona, for Leona Helmsley for a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was... We won't go there. <laughs> that was quite an experience, I got to tell you. Yeah. Everyone has their Leona story. but Yeah. Well, I guess it steeled you for what was to come oh, for your word. challenges. It's... <laughs> That was pretty interesting. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I found myself uh, gravitating towards, um, you know, I thought about there were so many people starting out at that time. But I was, an, I was a little bit of an older student. I was 29 mm-hmm. when I went to culinary school. Mm-hmm. So the idea of spending 100 hours, you know, I just went a different way. I had a lot of un- other interests. So a friend of mine, after the, after the hotel, they said, you know, um, I work for this corporate caterer. And I go, oh, really? What's that all about? And uh, they said, well, they have different accounts, you know. And I go, yeah, because I don't want to just, you know, I want to make great food. And so tell me about the hours. And um, I talked to this company, and they said, well, we have this opening at a very, like, the most high-end account that we have, which is a law firm. Uh, and um, I went, you know, and they said, okay, look, we'll try you out. They liked me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I stayed there. You know, I found that we made fantastic food f- mm. for a lot of years. I just stayed uh, yeah, there. Yeah, they had a great budget, right? <laughs> Fabulous budget. Yeah, that Fabulous. must have been fun. To well, yeah, it was fun because it allowed me to do other things that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, on the weekend and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, photography and things like that. So, You play guitar, too, don't now you? Now I do, yeah. yeah. I'm so excited. Oh, really? Did, when did you pick up the guitar? <laughs> a couple of years ago. Really? Couple, Good like, for you. Actually, I've been noodling You have around. a Fender guitar? I have a Fender <laughs> Telecaster guitar I'm in love with. Wow. And it's been a couple of years. A couple, three years I've been noodling. Now I have a serious teacher, and I'm really excited. That's great. So, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we had fabulous food at the law firm. It was great. So I was ex- very happy. So how did, where did you, when did you, because you were cooking a long time before you came to the Board of Ed. Yeah. Yeah. So how, I mean, does anything prepare you for a job of the magnitude that you've taken on? Well, you know, I guess... Uh, when I interviewed for this current position, I was living in Vermont. I, I left uh, that corporate dining gig and I moved to Vermont to become an instructor at the New England Culinary Institute. 
mm-hmm. which I did. So you had a calling for teaching. Well, I had more of a calling to leave Jersey City and move to Vermont. <laughs> I see in <laughs> here there's, just, there's some Buddhist studies, too. Yeah, Was that up in, in uh, uh, Vermont? A little bit. That's more current. Uh, okay. But it was, wasn't so much a calling to teach mm-hmm. as it was to, a compl- to have a completely different lifestyle, which mm-hmm. you know, I accomplished. So, How long were you up there? I lived in Vermont for 10 years. Oh. Yeah. Um, you must know your dairy. We know dairy. <laughs> I know how to stack wood, gardens. I had an old house with a barn. You know, I did the whole thing, burned the wood, everything, all that. Wow. You know, split wood, you know. You know. We're here at Roberta's. They split wood. I think, you know, did you? Did I'm you good. Know? I think I'll let them do that. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, so I... I stayed, um, I was an instructor there uh, teaching, uh, I created a curriculum for kind of a, it's like a food, culture, and religion class. Really? Oh. Right. So that was, yeah, that that was, uh, it's there, they had something that existed, but I kind of totally blew it up. Was the food and religion uh, with dietary restrictions? Yes. And why they came about? That was part of it. There was, Mm -hmm. yes, there was a uh, academic piece to the class, but then primarily we had, I had culinary students coming in and we would, so we were doing menus uh, of Moroccan food, Thai Mm -hmm. food, Mm -hmm. French classical food, Mexican, things like that. So we would execute the recipes, talk about the food, and it was all skills based. In a based, cultural so, sense, right, as well so, as a yeah. culinary sense. So the, the, the kitchen component was all about skills development. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, in the classroom piece, mm-hmm. I gave them some sense of history, mm-hmm. you know, of, you know, Colombian exchange, you know, mm. because that school, um, like any culinary school, you need a certain number of academic credits. Mm-hmm. So it fulfilled both the cooking right. skill, you know. And it so, made it relevant. I think it's very yeah. hard to cook culturally mm-hmm. um, without knowing the culture, you know. Without it having some reference point to yes. where their food came from, particular, you know, ethnicities or things like that. Yeah. Right. That was that was great. Um, so to answer your question about... Um, what prepared me, I guess, uh, I think primarily, I think what attracted them to my resume ha- had a lot to do with the fact that I was in a corporate world. Mm-hmm. They interviewed a lot of restaurant chefs mm-hmm. for the position. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing in a bureaucracy mm-hmm. and uh, it, you have to have some sense, it's really, you really need to have some sense of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I was working for the uh, corporate dining company, you know, I was one of the, I was one of the destination places where they would bring clients. So it more had to do with consistency across the company, you know, that kind of niche yes. of food that we re- yeah. required for other clients, right. similar clients. So consistency and and scale and scale. So, we, so we're gonna we're gonna take a yeah. break here okay. because now we're at the we're precipice at- here. We're gonna mm. go over it when we come back. So okay. I'm talking to Jorge Colazo. Thank you.
Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Okay, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Chef's Story, and I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton. And today, my guest is the head chef of the New York City school system, Jorge Colazzo. Jorge, we were just talking, and now we want to get into it. Um, these, you know, uh, 860,000 kids that you've got. Meals. Meals that you have to serve, right. over a million kids. Right. How do you do it? What are, the, what are the challenges? Everyone's talking about school food. I know you feel not only passionately about it, right. it's on your plate. Right. How do you do it? What are the, what are the real issues here? The, the um, okay, first, the first thing you have to understand is the scale of this operation, which is, you kind of alluded to, it's immense. Um, just so, just a few facts. So we have approximately 1,700 schools that are housed in probably 1,200 buildings because we have campus schools now. Um, we service uh, all kinds of schools, charter schools, public schools, uh, you know, Catholic schools, all kinds of schools. Um, maybe I should explain a little bit about what my office does. Yes. Okay. okay. So my department was created in 2005 for when I joined uh, the system. Um, and How high are you up in the pecking order? Like between, uh, I have a boss. My there, we have a my 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 boss is Stephen O'Brien. He's the director of food and food support. Mm -hmm. So food and food support um, encompasses um, my department, culinary concepts, mm -hmm. uh, supply chain management, which has to do and manages our commodity foods from the government. And also deals directly with our distributors. So that's what you do. No, no, that's, that's what he does. No, no. he's okay. in charge of essentially three departments. Oh, I see. Okay. Culinary concepts, which is mine. Okay. Supply chain management, which deals with the distributors. Okay. And managing our our commodity dollars mm -hmm. from the government, mm -hmm. and also the the marketing department that we our in house marketing department. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my department, mm -hmm. uh, we write all the menus mm -hmm. for. New York City Department of Ed. We we do all their R and D with companies to develop products mm -hmm. that meet New York City standards and federal guidelines. The new ones mm -hmm. in particular. Um, we also do all the nutritional reviews of all the products, all the food. We maintain that. Mm -hmm. So um, and also I have five professional chefs that work for me. Mm -hmm. uh, there's we actually have seven. But these five individuals, uh, three of whom are CIA grads, mm -hmm. um, they, their mission and daily work 
is they're each assigned to a borough. So what they are do what they do is skill development with co uh, cooks in schools and kitchen teams. So you're also doing training. Oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. we do that to support. That was the, one of the first things I asked for when I joined um, the organization was mm -hmm. to hire a chef for every borough. Understanding from my experience in the corporate world about mm -hmm. how you. Push implement change yeah, push right, out the so change i so. have because this yeah. is a a lot of professionals listen to this okay. story I, I think a lot of us want to know um is there a kitchen in these schools yes. or, or are they just warming ovens no no there there are a number of different uh profiles of kitchens mm -hmm. um there are kitchens there are ovens convection ovens steamers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are tilt skillets Mm -hmm. um, are mixers. they all are they all equal or no, no? absolutely not okay. you've got buildings uh, that um, are over 100 years old mm -hmm. and with the kitchens in the basement mm -hmm. um, some of the you know this gets a little technical but you, you asked so, the, so as far as cooking is concerned there are different profiles of kitchens depending on their fire suppression what they are permitted to do and what they are not permitted to do. So how um, how does this enter into the mix? Does it make it much more complicated because you can't just do one thing if you have different kinds of kitchens across the board? This is where we get to the point where you're starting to, as we say, having a nuanced conversation about art and science. You know, there's the art to this and there's a technical part to this. So. Mm -hmm. Um, when you look at, primarily speaking, mm -hmm. we are reheating food. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, when you consider that by the end of this year, probably every school building, mm -hmm. every kitchen, every cafeteria mm -hmm. will have a salad bar in it, which is something that, that was like pr the very first words out of my mouth mm -hmm. when was salad bar you mean when you started yeah, when i started almost like mm -hmm. that was one of the first things i uttered okay and at now we are at a point so okay so take me through ahead. that journey why why was it so why did it take so long uh, eight years to get salad bars no but there were salad bars but, but only in some schools only in some schools only in some schools um and they were not they were not as robust, or mm -hmm. they did not have the same sort of profile that we have today. Right. So what happened over the course of eight years? Yeah. Well, well how, did, how did you... You had an entire... Well, um, look, uh, what ha you know, eight years, you have to consider the narrative that's been going on and the conversation that's been going on in the public. Yes. That's been supported by epidemiological kind of studies about obesity right so as that conversation escalated in the mm -hmm. public eye yeah you know the interest and the support and the support and the um you know the, and resources. the mechanics i'm sure and the mechanics of it yeah yeah it, so it's just you can't have an idea and easily implement it that's what i'm trying no, to no, get no. through it does take time and very much so through. there's a whole process and protocol how, and we need to do that yeah you, know? you you do the culinary concept how free are you to make a menu i mean what these guidelines from the federal government yes. the guidelines from the city itself i'm sure what how 
what you know what do you have to deal with when you you're sitting down to make a, a menu ah uh, my you know um i don't i don't know if any of my team is listening right now i told them <laughs> i was going to be on the radio but right now as we're speaking i have there's probably seven eight people in my office mm-hmm. writing and verifying the november menus for the school system mm-hmm. it is tremendously complex it is very uh, proscribed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking sometimes two decimal places worth of grams of calories or fiber that we have to meet. You know, we have to. F- and so who there's puts a up, lot. Is that federal? Yes, that's mm-hmm. the new. That's the new standards. Mm-hmm. And when I say that it's very prescribed, that does not in any way mean that these changes are not welcome. Because mm-hmm. I personally, I I'm welcoming them. Mm-hmm. They are very welcome. People for years have been asking the USDA to make significant strides mm-hmm. in in the meal pattern and the nutrient profile of the food that is served in schools, and now they've done it mm-hmm. um, through a lot of hard work by Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. That whole kind of what she brought to that conversation mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. immense. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, through a stimulus grant we were able to add over 100, 200 pieces of equipment to our kitchens, including over 100 salad bars through funds from the stimulus from the Obama administration. So there's like a whole, there's been a whole kind of, over these years that I've been there, when I first said we need to have better salad bars or kids really like, kids like green stuff. Mm-hmm. And people said, no, no, I don't think that's true. So are you allowed to buy anything you want if, if no. you have it in the, your budget? Can, does, can you have olive oil easily in the schools? Can you, you know, are you restricted? Two-part question. So, mm-hmm. like, when you ask me, how, what do I have to do to meet the standards? Um, it more has to do with, we're kind of asking manufacturers now to look when they consider presenting products to us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, cost, you cannot... There's a certain cost factor right. that after a certain point, product is unreachable to us. Right. Um, so, that being said, there are other ways to allocate your budgets. So, some of those other products become more accessible to you. But it's kind of complicated, but... Um, so what kind of food are you going to see on the menu this year with the new parameters that you didn't see before? Okay, well, we've, we've um, it's, um, it's kind of interesting. We are, um, it's more has to do with how we menu the items that we already have in our inventory. Mm-hmm. The R&D and bringing in more products that are minimally processed or completely whole muscle in terms of proteins, that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. That won't change. That's not changing. It's it more has to do how we uh, menu what we already have to make them comply. Mm-hmm. Um, however, so the balance of protein, it has to do well. There's complex a, well, carbohydrate, there's, fiber. There's the standards are written in a way where there are now um, maximum amounts of calories that you are allowed to offer I see. per day and as a weekly average. There was always um, uh, minimums that you had to meet, but never maximums that you had. You ah, could not go over. Well, what if a kid comes up two or three times? They for can't a come time? two or three times. 
I see. They and can. so it's portioned out for them. Absolutely. And you didn't portion before? Oh, of course. That's that's never oh, changed. But, yeah, the but portions the, have changed. But the, but the menu mix has to be a certain The, the portions have increased in size. Uh-huh. And also the profile of the food the nutrient density of the foods that you're allowed to offer has mm-hmm. also changed. Mm-hmm. So, um, in a very short period of time, there might be some remnants out there in some school, but white rice is mm-hmm. no more. Oh. Okay, so grains mm-hmm. have to be nutrient dense. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the portion sizes of those grains have to be at a certain level. Mm-hmm. So, portion sizes have increased. Mm-hmm. This is causing, not only here in this city, mm-hmm. but across the country, a lot of concern about cost. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said before, everyone welcomes these changes. Mm-hmm. The issue is that, basically, they were unfunded. Mm-hmm. Now, if school districts are in compliance, they are, they are offering school districts added reimbursement oh. per meal. Oh. Okay. Can we ask how much that is? It's six cents per meal. But when you've got you have to a million there, kids. Well, you you there's a lot of documentation that has yeah. to be done, which is fine. Yeah. We're, we're compliant, mm-hmm. and we're going to be compliant. And uh, so, but the level of review has become much more intense. So, mm-hmm. it's kind of um, spend now. Hopefully, we'll get something back. Will it? So, will it meet? Will it make up the difference in the amount? Mm-hmm. Probably not. No, so, so we're going to have to unfortunately take another break. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to come back, and uh, I guess it's a little confusing when you're saying you're putting more on the plate. Yes. And we're trying to get a maximum, you can't go over a maximum amount of calories. Let's kind of, we'll come back we'll and come we'll back explain that. that. Yeah. All right, you're listening to Chef Story. <laughs> so far support the network and become a member membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably minded businesses that support us to become a member visit heritageradionetwork.org today welcome back you're listening to Chef's Story, and I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today my guest is Jorge Colazzo, the head chef of the Board of Education for the City of New York, and we're talking about actually what the kids are going to eat this year with the new parameters. And Jorge, um, I'd like you to describe to me your vision of the perfect plate of food to give students, and how close are you to accomplishing that? Okay. I, I mean... Um there are, um, we like to offer a whole host of choices to students. So 
I guess if maybe I could answer it in the sense of uh, what would I like to see a student? How how would I like to see a student's um, day go when they enter the school as far as it relates to what they choose to eat with us? So I would love to see students come to breakfast. Breakfast is offered at no cost to every student. To the full million students? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's offered at no cost. That was something that uh, Mayor Bloomberg did some years ago. And what's uh, for breakfast? Well, you have, uh, I'm very happy now that we were able to say that we just entered into a, an agreement and we are going to be offering Stonyfield organic yogurt Great. for the first time. We're going to have organic yogurt on our menu, our breakfast menu citywide. Mm. Um, we have um, scrambled eggs. You have, uh, you know, lean. Oatmeal. Yep, oatmeal, mm. different hot cereals. Uh, we're also uh, very happy to be offering Kashi this year. Right. You know, two two uh, brands of Kashi Kellogg mm-hmm. cereal. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, you know. So they're all good, healthy. Yeah. Do you have fresh fruit? Fresh fruit. Every One. meal we have fresh fruit. Wow. Yeah. So there's opportunity. That's that's what I, mm-hmm. I'd love to see the student. Come for breakfast. Come for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then there are a number of different menu days that... Uh, that I find personally attractive, mm-hmm. you know, I think that are a great day. Okay, so it describes... Like a roast, so we have a roast chicken with um, Spanish rice made with a, um, uh, a nutrient-dense whole grain rice blend from a company called Whole Harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, legumes, mm-hmm. let's say uh, uh, stewed black beans or pinto beans. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the great things that has occurred in the um, with the new standards mm-hmm. is that they have called out that legumes should be offered once a week mm-hmm. as a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it's very color oriented, like red mm-hmm. orange. Mm-hmm. We have a new uh, sweet potato product uh, mm-hmm. that we're very happy about. So, I would say a roast chicken, a day with roasted chicken, mm-hmm. um, you know, Spanish rice. Some so, beans, some legumes, some black beans. Has the new tech? Do you use the new technology of the vacuum packing and or water circulation? Is is the new technology going to help in maybe getting more flavorful foods? Um, we are. So that's that's again part of the conversation between. No, we're not doing sous vide. Okay. Food in schools. Right. Okay. okay. But would but, that help a lot if Bill Gates well, came and said, "Hey, Jorge, how much have, money you want to?" to we make? have products like that already. All right, so, and again, this is, we're going back to when we talked about reheating and cooking, and the, the idea here is that when you talk about food made by hand, mm-hmm. in many ways, right, okay, we're reheating certain foods in ovens, mm-hmm. but at the same time, salad bars are all made by hand, sandwiches are made by hand, mm-hmm. these legume recipes are all done by hand, mm-hmm. we have whole grain pasta, all well, our pasta is whole grain, mm-hmm. we're cooking that. You know, we're, 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 you know, at, at each it. location. Yeah. It's being made now, by hand. Right. So in, in certain instances, there are challenges in certain schools. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right now I'm talking to a company about, and this is the nuance about how do you make the change across all of these environments? So I'm talking to this company about, uh, it's a whole grain pasta, Italian pasta that is pre-cooked. Mm-hmm. al dente, mm-hmm. but it comes frozen in bags in a case. Mm-hmm. So 
that's one instance where you could take the pasta, you know, put it in a pan, mm-hmm. you know, defrost it overnight properly, mm-hmm. put it in a pan, put some sauce over it, put mm-hmm. it in the oven, and, and finish the product. Mm-hmm. I have a company that uh, is preparing, this. we already serve this. It comes frozen. It's kind of a Mexican, kind of a southwestern spiced bean mix mm-hmm. that comes frozen, already cooked. Mm-hmm. So you see, you have to kind of try and work around the system. And these companies can do this. Mm-hmm. So to make it as accessible, so the delivery systems, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people want to see everything, people chopping everything by hand, you know, that we're not a restaurant. We're at the end of the day. We're an institutional food service outfit mm-hmm. that has, uh, in many cases, technical challenges, mm-hmm. cost challenges that we try and address. Our volume allows us to get very good pricing from companies. They mm-hmm. want to be associated with us. Mm-hmm. They recognize who we are. They take recipes that I help develop with them and mm-hmm. my team mm-hmm. and go, go back to manufacturers. They go and sell it across the country mm-hmm. because they know we are very strict about having it meet nutrient standards, but also have it designed so I can tell a cook in a school, okay, when you serve this volume of food onto that kid's tray, Mm -hmm. they are getting X amount of protein, Mm -hmm. and and that could be for legumes as well. Mm -hmm. So those things, those foods are designed that way. So... How do you handle, I know that there are over 100 languages spoken by students. Right. You know, they're from all different countries. Right. How do you take in all the dietary restrictions, the, you know, allergies, the, you know, uh, religious restrictions? We Is don't. That, you don't. So they either bring their lunch or... We, we don't. So that's a good question because people like to know about... They like to know that about that, but we don't offer kosher food. We do uh, just because it's extremely difficult to make sure the kitchen is kosher. Kosher, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we do. We are able to um, address concerns from uh, Muslim parents mm-hmm. because there was a project that we conducted a couple of years ago in the Bronx with a, a couple of schools, a whole host of schools, and. Uh, you know, Muslims can eat. Uh, they can eat fish. They can eat pizza. They can eat. It's not that the ingredients have to be kosher. What they are always, what they would like to see is halal meat, mm-hmm. halal butchered meat, which mm-hmm. we don't have the ability to offer. I mm-hmm. mean, it's extremely expensive, mm-hmm. and it's conflicted. So, mm-hmm. as far as conflicted in the sense that it's very costly, mm-hmm. but. As so far as addressing a, every yeah. religious, no, I mean, so if you, you have a, 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 a child from Bhutan, which okay. there are in the yeah. system, oh, yeah. and you're serving Mexican food that day, mm-hmm. um, does someone have to sit them down and say, "Try it," because it's so different from what they're used to in their home? Do you find that you're you're educating the palates of all of this diverse uh, population? Well, we don't really. I mean. We don't have time to sit down and, <laughs> and have a conversation about it. with that child from Bhutan. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I think that cultural diversity is alive and well and real and something that everybody is aware of and wants to address mm-hmm. as far as their food choices and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you also have to think about kids as just being kids. 
Mm. And that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. he, that kid might be Bhutan. He might be from Bhutan, mm-hmm. but he, he might be hanging out and chilling with Puerto Rican kids and African American kids and oh. regu- just anybody. His friends could be from across the board. And you know, we I you know when you're talking about we, my office produces 26 menus all of which have to be in compliance. So, Can we get some of those menus up on the website so people can see the diversity of what oh, they're, they're offering? Yeah, they're on, they... our, they're on our school food. They're on so the we can put Department a of Ed. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if we can but, uh, possibly know, ever address with a menu. Every, no. I mean, so it's tell not me, in, in the Chinese, <laughs> like in Chinatown in New yeah. York, there's not going to be any white rice on that menu. Yeah, that's an issue. Oh my gosh, that's going to be. Hard. I mean, it, it, truthfully speaking, if you really looked at the regulations, yeah, it's possible to offer it. Mm-hmm. Here's the here's the here's the challenge. It is possible to offer it, but when you're planning your your um, menu centrally mm-hmm. and doing a nutritional review centrally. Mm-hmm. And the verification to get the extra six cents mm-hmm. has to be done, you know, from a central location. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you okay. offer a certain number of grains right. over the course of the week, yes, there is a nuanced way to still offer Dudes. white rice. Okay. However, yeah. that kind of level of, of uh, maneuvering at this point because it just started <laughs> it just started it's, it's, it just started it's like, it actually September was a kind of a test month right. but it's real now so for us to address that particular concern at this time mm-hmm. would be challenging so if I had a wand and said mm-hmm. Jorge you can have three wishes okay three three wow that's a nice wand yeah because I don't you know maybe you can't uh, okay. choose one over the other what three things would you wish for that you think would make huge differences in not just in your own backyard with the Board of Ed, but across across the country for school food? I would say that the first thing would be that um, the school, uh, the food service program in in the, this country needs to be properly funded. And, and how much would that take? Oh well. Uh, that's that's a tough question. You might have some you philanthropists know, out there. <laughs> we welcome philanthropy. <laughs> we'll per student, to them, but per student, would you need five dollars well, a day or three dollars a day? I'll, I'll put you? it to you this way. Mm-hmm. I'll put it this way. Um, right now, we have a dollar to spend per a child. A day. Right now, so to be completely. You know, fair about it. We have all these salad bars, and the reimbursement is continues to support that. We don't get any added reimbursement for salad bars. We get nothing for it. We put it out on our own. So that's in that dollar. It's included there. Uh, again, um, it can be complicated, but let's say for the sake of this conversation, yes. We are able to cover the cost of the dollar of the salad bar. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, however, let's say I wanted to um, switch to all of the proteins, the meat proteins, 
to whole muscle meat mm -hmm. every time you know that we offered it that it would mm -hmm. be a completely whole muscle meat product mm -hmm. right now it's on a rotation basis we can't do that right now okay mm -hmm. that's one thing um and whole muscle means a, oh, a piece words, of meat that you would recognize as well, opposed to in other words to like we have two we have we're going to have another couple of products from a company this looks like a it's turkey it's dark meat turkey it's kind of a pulled has a pulled beautiful product yeah pulled no you can we can put um you can make cuban sandwich out of it you can make barbecue you mm -hmm. can do a lot of different things mm -hmm. with it okay um that item uh is currently purchased okay it's mm -hmm. at a certain cost yeah compared to the more classic traditional foods that you can you think about in school meals you know like chicken tenders you know yeah. which we have all that stuff mm -hmm. you know um so the the, the wand because we're, okay, we're, we're winding down oh, we're gonna more. have to go sorry. so this is your last hurrah get it out there maybe we'll find a philanthropist <laughs> we need to have the program funded properly um I would say it would be great to have um, our, our kitchens redone, the mm -hmm. ones that need to be redone. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose, you know, really have the conversation about food embedded in the curriculum. In, in the classroom. In the classroom. To have the connection so you can teach percentages by showing a child a nutrient label mm -hmm. on a on a can of soda mm -hmm. and tell okay a 12 ounce can of soda mm -hmm. here's percentages well what does that really mean in terms of teaspoons of sugar so you can teach math sounds like a good math class you, yeah yeah it's a great math class um, and it's also have Life conversation study. about how you eat how do you dine how do you what how do you approach food as a child, mm -hmm. you know, in other words, how do you sit down and respect food when you're sitting across um, the table from uh, your fellow student, you know? Yeah. So um, I think just try finding a way to elevate children's perception of food and what it means to them mm -hmm. and what it, yeah, on a number of different levels. But, right. So. Well, you know what? I think you are the chef in the country with the most challenging job and um, I'm so happy you found some time to uh, come here today and talk with us and I feel like we've just I don't even know if we scratched the surface so maybe you can come back later to. in the year and we can get more deeply into this and have Jorge Colazzo part one and part two I'd love that to tell people about you know we've got a great program we've made tremendous strides over the years we've got work to do but I'm really proud of our people and the people that work in the kitchens the mm -hmm. cooks the ladies that are out there, yeah. absolutely. Shout out to them and everyone that works so hard in those kitchens to get kids uh, a great well, meal. So. Well, thank you. And keep feeding those kids. And congratulations on the salad bars. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Dorothy. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.